Well, hello there. It's great to see you again, and welcome back to Lessons by the Lake, the Oswego Private Wealth Show. I am your host and moderator, Ryan Ruff, and as always, we've got our star of the show and Mr. Bob Dreitis, the managing director over at Oswego Private Wealth. He'll be joining me in just a moment, and we're going to be unpacking another wealth management conversation. That's what we tackle here on the show. You know, of late, we've been having some great guests coming on to this show to share their expertise into different facets of wealth management and how that ties in to what Bob's doing with his clients over at us we go private wealth and boy do we have a great guest tuned up for you guys today today we're going to be joined by miss bonnie trichel bonnie over uh the chief solutions officer over at endeavor retirement and really the, the key focal theme that we're going to be running through today's show is this idea of avoiding some of the retirement planning mistakes that are along the way especially within a business exiting plan, right? In that business exit plan, as we've talked so much about on this show, there's so many variables at play. Obviously, you're thinking about retirement. What comes next with your life? Well, today we're going to be covering some mistakes and also just really, in a general sense, a lot of the work that Bonnie does with her clients through this retirement planning process over at Endeavor. So with that being said, let's go ahead and bring Bob out and get right into it. Bob, it's good to see you this morning. How are you doing, sir? Ryan, I'm having a great day. Thanks so much. It's so good to see you again. Yeah, Bob, always a good time when we get together. Uh, Bob, we got to, I mean, we're obviously, you and I are excited to have Bonnie aboard. A lot to cover today with regard to retirement planning, how it plays a role in exit planning overall for business owners. Uh, Bob, I know you want to share a little bit more about Bonnie, your experiences with Bonnie before we bring her on and get into it. But uh, I'll throw things over to you, Bob, and uh, we'll let you take it away. All right. Thank you, Ryan. Um, thanks so much. Well, you, everyone who listens to the show on any periodic basis knows that uh, you know, being a, being a financial is where I'm trained, a financial advisor is where I'm trained. It's technically uh, my job description. Uh, but what I really do and why I do it is defending the American success story of entrepreneurs who are building their businesses, the backbone of this country. And Bonnie is an American success story. She's the first in her family to go to college. Uh, she's, she has a law degree. Uh, she grew up in Kansas, and she's the founder of Endeavor Retirement, and she is an in-demand industry speaker and consultant. We've known each other for uh, quite a while now, and Bonnie is uh, that my definition of a consummate professional. Uh, and outside of her professional life, Bonnie is a very active person. She's a runner. She's a biker. Uh, she has a gorgeous golden retriever by the name of Sunny. And uh, I'm just so excited to have Bonnie on the show. So Bonnie, welcome to the Lessons by the Lake show. Awesome. Well, thanks, Ryan. And thanks, Bob, for having me. I'm super excited to be here and to get to have this conversation. As you mentioned, Bob, we met a while ago, and it's been great getting to know you and really to talk about, um, you know, the Americans that you help and to learn more about your background. So I'm excited to be here. Well, thank you, Bonnie. I sure appreciate that. So, you know, avoiding retirement mistakes in business exit planning, that's a, that's a big, big topic. And oftentimes when a business owner is considering this sale of their business, uh, it's not a priority. It's not at the top of their checklist of looking at their retirement plan, their 401k, their uh, simple IRAs, whatever it is that they have set up for the company. So why would a business owner need to address the retirement plan when they're contemplating the sale of a business? Yeah, that's, that's a really big topic that we're going to unpack. So maybe we'll kind of take a step back and think a little bit more about, you know, why are retirement plans an important piece of this puzzle? 
Um, for me, I think it's a really important piece of the puzzle because not only are we thinking about the business owner and their planning for themselves and their own wealth, but thinking about just compliance, the compliance piece of not falling into mistakes or traps when we think about the retirement plan. And if it's okay with you, maybe I'll start by just sharing a little bit of a story related to why you want to think about not falling into those traps. So um, I've spent some time working with, and I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit more of how I work with uh, various business owners and their retirement plans. Um, but one of the bigger mistakes that I ran into a while back was helping a plan that they were being acquired by a much larger organization, business owner nearing uh, their retirement, and they were selling to a larger organization. And this plan was only like a million dollar plan. So not a very large retirement plan. And unfortunately, what happened during the due diligence process and ultimately what came to be is a million dollar plan that ran into a million dollars in corrections when it was all said and done. And I'll repeat that. So we've got a million dollar plan with a million dollars in corrections. And that was found during the due diligence process when it was being acquired by this larger organization. So I think when you're thinking about, hey, why does retirement plan, uh, why do you want to think about retirement plans when you're thinking towards that exit strategy? It's not only for the business owners, just individual wealth, but it's more so to make sure you don't run into mistakes and you have the proper compliance in place so that when you get to the end, you don't have some big compliance or legal check that you've got a right to deal with this retirement plan. Oh, Bonnie, that, that is a, a chilling story. I mean, to imagine that a million dollar plan has uh, you euphemistically call them corrections. That sounds to me like like costs, <laughs> yeah. worth of costs to, to a, bill, a million dollar plan and uh, the obligation, the fiduciary obligation of the, to the employees themselves, the plan itself. And I can imagine uh, that could easily derail the sale of, of a business. Uh, so what does, what does due diligence look like uh, for a plan during the contemplation of a sale? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, sometimes the, the benefits stack, so to speak, so the retirement plan, the health and welfare plans, like those oftentimes come much more at the tail end. They're not driving the acquisition process most of the time. They're at the end. But what you don't want to do is get to the end and have everything derailed because of something that comes up in diligence. So, you know, what are the things that they're looking for? Um, it's all the basics as it relates to running a retirement plan. And it's many of the things, you know, Bob, that you're helping folks that you work with on their retirement plans. So it's the basics like timely filing of that form 5500. So we know that if you've got a retirement plan, you've got an obligation to file the form 5500. It's making sure just those basics that you're meeting all of those obligations that you owe under the IRS and Department of Labor guidelines. So sending out notices to participants, making sure that you're timely making those contributions to the trust. So when you take the money from your participants or employees, you actually put it in the trust or with the record keeper when you're supposed to do so. And then again, you're reporting that back on that 5,500, um, that you've got your, your fee benchmarking or that you're paying no more than reasonable fees. Um, also that you've got your investment lineup that you're monitoring. So I really break that down into three kind of buckets of, of diligence 
and really three areas of fiduciary obligations that, Bob, you're oftentimes helping folks with, which would be really your investment section, your service provider monitoring section, and really kind of your operations and admin section is how I would break down those three categories. But there's really some of those major components that you have to do, like the filing of the 5500 and not, you know, having any prohibited transactions or taking money from the plan when it's really the plan's money and not the employer's money sort of thing. Those are those major milestones you've got to watch out for and make sure you're doing what you're obligated to do once you set up a plan. And I know, Bob, you help folks with a lot of that work. Yeah, indeed, indeed we do. Um, so there, there's some risks or consequences to having a plan to make sure that things are, are done properly. Uh, how many different professionals does a does a business owner need to surround themselves to make sure that they have a plan that's meeting that fiduciary uh, standard? That's the investment lineup, that the fees and the costs are in line, and that everything's being filed properly. Such a great question. You're like, how many people does it take to run this plan? And you know, does it differ if it's a plan that's five hundred thousand or if it's you know five hundred million? Um, you know, really. ERISA, which is our federal law that governs retirement plans, it does not dictate that you must have five professionals helping you versus 500 professionals helping you. What ERISA does say is that once you make that decision to start a retirement plan, you have the obligation to have the expertise to run the plan. And when you don't have that expertise, you have to go out and hire someone to help you run it. And so oftentimes what that means is that you're always going to have to have a trust to hold the money. So that is really the one professional or like entity that you must have is that trust, because when you take the money from employees, you got to send it somewhere. And so that's the trust or entity you must have. Then aside from that, it's really up to the employer or plan sponsor to decide who else they'd like to have. What's very typical is that you have your trust, which then also has typically like a record keeper that comes with it. So the record keeper is really, I think of it as like the Excel format, right? So it's like the Excel. And what I mean by that is like, how, how many employees do you have and how much money does each employee have in their accounts? And so I think of that as an Excel spreadsheet. So that's your record keeper that you typically have. And then oftentimes you usually have an advisor. So someone like, like you, Bob, you have your advisor and your financial advisor helps you with things like deciding what investments to have. So what investments to make available to those participants or rather employees where you're going to then let them put it with the record keeper and decide, okay, with my bucket of money, here's where I'm going to stick my money and in those investments. If you have a participant directed account. And then aside from really your advisor, your record keeper and trust function, it's really up to that plan sponsor if they need additional support. You know, you might have an additional third party administrator. You might work with someone like myself who can serve as like a risk counsel or an additional consultant. But the basics are usually a financial advisor who's going to help really quarterback a lot of the process, do the investments, and then help make sure that money gets remitted over to the trust and to the record keeper. So I think those are kind of your core professionals. And then you might have additional ones on top of that. Thank you. That, that's very complete. Uh, when we engage with business owners here as Frio Private Wealth and we take a look at their retirement plans, 
Um, we, we notice, and I'm very curious what your experience has been. Uh, we have come to notice that most people kind of take a set at business owners, take a set it and forget it. Uh, 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 kind of an attitude toward their plans. They created the plan, they have it, it's there and they don't really look at it too often. And one of the things that we recommend very early in, uh, uh, you know, job one is that we do a benchmarking study. Uh, mm -hmm. I know you're very familiar with ben benchmarking studies. Could you talk a little bit about, uh, number one, in your experience, uh, how often do you see people review their, their existing plans? And number two, what should that process look like, that benchmarking study, if you will? Yeah, great question. Um, benchmarking is absolutely critical. Um, and the set it and forget it is a terrible idea. So what I mean by that is, you know, set it and forget it is something um, not good at the participant level and not good at the plan sponsor level. So what I mean by that is we hear this set it and forget it. And I think the notion is like, hey, we got it set up. We don't want to be tinkering around and making changes all the time. And while in theory, there's some good things about that idea, it's not a good idea. I mean, it's not a good idea for participants because, and participants being employees, because we want participants to be actively engaged with their finances, both from a savings rate and understanding, you know, did my money get contributed to it, my account? Do I know where my finances are? Should I be saving more? We don't want people to forget about what they did five years ago and never look at their account again. I don't believe that's the right method for employees. Um, on the plan sponsor level, back to your main question, like, should we be benchmarking? Absolutely. Number one, the Department of Labor requires that you do benchmarking, so to speak. In other words, the regulations require that plan sponsors as their fiduciary obligation, once they set up a plan, they're required to pay no more than reasonable fees for services out of plan assets. What does that mean in plain English? In plain English, what that means is if you are letting your employees out of their plan assets or that bucket of money, pay for the record keeper, pay for investments, pay for the advisor's fees, you have to make sure that that's not more than what's reasonable or deemed reasonable. Well, how do you determine reasonableness? Reasonableness would be based on using benchmarking. Now, the fuzziness or squishiness of ERISA is that it doesn't say, well, you must do benchmarking once a year or you must do it once every three years. It likewise doesn't say you have to do a request for proposal to find a new advisor or a new record keeper once every three or four years. None of that is specified in the regulations or in like the law itself. But what we do know is if you do benchmarking, for example, once a year through you know, some sort of study or some sort of data, or if you do that you know, once every other year, if you're consistent about that and document it, then you're going to have a really sound you know, file to demonstrate that you're paying no more than reasonable fees. So typically investments you're seeing at least once a year Sometimes people are doing that quarterly for larger plans, but at least once a year. And on service providers, I think that's at least, you know, once every year or two years, you're seeing a benchmarking report. And that prevents the needs oftentimes from doing more frequent, larger RFPs. 
But the whole point there is we've got to consistently look at fees. And when fees are out of line, you go back to a service provider and you say, hey, you know, we need a fee reduction or you replace investments where there is too high a fee and you're not getting reasonable return or, you know, active management is fine as long as that's the appropriate, you know, investment for whatever that investment policy is. Uh, that That's a thank you so much for that. That's uh very similar to what we look for when we come in and we do a benchmarking study for a company. Uh, we take a look at the fees. Are they reasonable and are they in line? Uh, we take a look at the investment lineup. Is there enough breadth and scope of investments and choices for the employee? And then last of all, what you refer to as administration, uh, we take a look at that fiduciary responsibility because that to me is a big one. Um, do, you, know, you know, sometimes a business owner says, well, I have a TPA, a third party administrator. They handle the fiduciary responsibility, the legal responsibilities with this plan to make sure it's all in line. And we find often, and I'm very curious your experience, uh, we find often that they, in fact, have retained the fiduciary. The business owner has retained the fiduciary responsibility. Um, and that uh, frightens them <laughs> to no end to discover that in a benchmarking study. Is that comparable to the types of things that you see when you uh, do a benchmarking study? Such a great point. So funny you should mention that about the fiduciary obligation. And I'm going to use this kind of finger pointing the other way, a symbol of like, hey, wait, I thought he was doing it. I, oh, wait, I thought she was doing it sort of notion. And it is this until you really, um, you know, and Bob, I know you do a great job of this. You come in and you help demonstrate, let's actually look at the agreements and let's actually look at who's doing what and what does it actually say we're supposed to be doing? And we figure out, well, you might have a TPA and you might have, or and when I say TPA, third-party administrator, you might have a record keeper and you might have an advisor, but all of those folks are doing things in what I'll describe as a non-fiduciary capacity. And non-fiduciary means they're helping in an administrative or ministerial capacity, but ultimately that fiduciary obligation still rests with the plan sponsor. And why does it really matter if you're fiduciary versus non-fiduciary? Well, the thing about ERISA is that this federal statute is a little bit more, I'm going to call it weightier or meatier than others in the sense that if you have fiduciary obligation under ERISA and you mess something up, you have personal liability. So your own personal assets are on the line. And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't have a retirement plan. You absolutely should have a retirement plan. And you should use that as a tool both to help yourself save as a business owner and to really attract and retain to grow a really strong company that you can sell and work towards that fabulous exit strategy. That's certainly something that, that is a goal of mine as well. But what that means is personal liability and responsibility, you should be aware of it and you should work with the right partners to make sure you understand what you're obligated to do and that you can meet those obligations going forward. Yeah, it, 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 thank you, Bonnie. I mean, that is such an eye-opener. A business owner knows uh, when they're signing uh, their personal assets or an obligation to something they're doing within the business. Uh, they don't always like it. <laughs> Clearly, they don't always like but they know they're doing it. Uh, this is one where there's so many times they're just not aware uh, mm -hmm. that they have that responsibility. And going back to the uh, the story you told in the beginning of a million-dollar plan with a million dollars of uh, issues with it, uh, that can really come back to bite them. 
So what then would be some tips for, for owners who want to make sure their employees are on the right track for retirement? Yeah, I think, um, you know, again, I didn't mean to start us with a horror story, so to speak, to discourage people from having a plan, because I think first and foremost, especially with today's, um, you know, tight labor market, it is critically important to be able to attract and retain talent to have a retirement plan. Um, if you want to be able to attract employees, number one, establish a retirement plan. And if you don't have one, it's going to be a lot easier, I believe, with Secure 2.0 likely coming down the pike because there are a lot of tax incentives for doing so. Like Congress wants people to have retirement plans. So number one, establish a plan. But number two, that means understand your fiduciary obligations. So one, establish a plan Two, understand your obligations as a business owner, which means as soon as you have that plan, you're a fiduciary. Number three, work with the right experts. So it is like finding someone like you, Bob, who understands those obligations and can really be the quarterback of that process for someone who has a plan. And then number four, it's going back to a tip you gave, which is don't set it and forget it. Continue to be mindful and install what I would call like a fiduciary process or kind of governance framework. And I talk to folks a lot about have a governance process where you can continually keep going on this stay on track kind of mentality. It's not set and, set and forget, it's stay on your governance process. Mm -hmm. I know sometimes we think we like Congress best when they're not in session and they're not doing anything. Uh, you had mentioned Secure uh, 2.0. Yeah. Uh, could you talk just a little bit about that and why that may or may not uh, indicate that it's probably now is a good time to be reviewing those plans? Yeah. So um, back to your point about set it and forget it. Again, um, for anyone who recalls at the end of 2019, when everyone was probably enjoying their holiday season, Congress dropped literally at the last moment. We had the first version of SECURE right in uh, December 2019 at the end of the year. And it had several um, 30 plus retirement plan provisions included. Now, if you fast forward to what we're dealing with right now, we have the House pass its version of SECURE earlier this year. And we have two versions floating around in the Senate. Um, in terms of retirement plans, coupled together with the two Senate versions and the House version, there's about 70 different retirement plan provisions and what's being coined as SECURE 2.0. None of these provisions, I would say, are anything just entirely new that we've never heard of before, but I would call them like provisions that are dressed up in new clothes. Like think of like you've put on a fancier outfit of versions that have been floating around Congress or different um, ideas throughout the Department of Labor or IRS for several years. And it's in this giant package of about 70 different provisions. Everything from student loan provisions to RMD changes. The RMD changes are pretty complicated when you think of what happened with Secure 1.0 coupled with CARES Act and now add this on top of it. So what I would say is you don't have to figure it all out today because it's only, it's still pending and proposed, but I would be very mindful as we head into the end of the year, be paying attention to, to people like you, Bob, because I'm sure you'll be pushing out information if this is finalized and it will have big impacts on retirement plans, as well as 
I would anticipate, you know, even on, for example, the private wealth side of the business where individuals, there'll just be so many different impacts and they will require changes. And RMDs are one of them. Lots going on with how contributions are made on the Roth side of the house. So there'll be some certain probably tax planning things that people will want to be mindful of. Lots of things happening if Secure 2.0 happens, which I would anticipate potentially after the elections in November. Thank, thank you. Yeah, no, we, we, we deeply, deeply believe that our clients deserve, the business owners deserve to maximize the value of their life's work. And um, all of this sounds like just another moving piece that could derail things at times. I know we started out you know, with, a, with a horror story of sorts. Uh, and it's really not like that as long as we're making sure we're documenting the process and, and doing the fiduciary standard. Uh, but one question I'm sure comes up um, in, in your conversations, it certainly comes up in mine. Uh, what does it cost to have a retirement plan for the business owner? Great question. Uh, and in a true lawyer fashion, I'll say it depends. Um, <laughs> but you know, one nice thing is if you were starting a plan for the first time, it, you get incredible tax breaks if you're starting a plan for the first time for the first three years. So Secure 1.0 really increase those tax breaks. And then if Secure 2.0 passes, then basically there's an opportunity almost to make it free from like the fees perspective for the first three years. Again, really that push to be able to get folks to start plans. Um, in terms of really additional costs, if you already have a plan, one thing to keep in mind is that there's the opportunity to really let your participants or employees pay for the plan. So one of the things under ERISA is that you are allowed to, as long as it is reasonable and necessary for the operation of the plan, you are allowed to let participants pay those fees to operate the plan. Now, the practical of that is when you're starting a plan for the very first time, if there's no money in the plan yet, it's really hard to get people to let you start the plan, if that makes sense. So there's a practical aspect where probably the initial starting of the plan the first year or so, you may have to write a check as a business owner. There are some opportunities where in some states you could potentially do, for example, in Oregon, you could maybe do a state-run plan for the first year or so and potentially find some opportunity to try to roll money in. That may be too complex getting into that situation, but the practical is you probably can find some flat fee ways to write a check for a fairly reasonable amount to an advisor and a record keeper or have the participants pay for the record keeper, the business owner plays, pays for the advisor, and you can get up and running pretty quick and eventually then convert all those fees to the participants paying. Uh, that's great. Thank, thank you. Well, Bonnie, you are a wealth of knowledge. Uh, is there anything I neglected to ask you that you think is critical for that business owner contemplating the exit uh, in terms of planning and retirement plans? The only thing I would continue to emphasize is just start with the end in mind and work backwards. And I know you can't contemplate everything, but I think, you know, even for myself as a young business owner, it's, you know, thinking about what the end goal is and trying to work backwards. And for me, that's just been finding the right partners. So I know I can't be an expert in everything. And I know, you know, whereas retirement plans is my passion and I want to do that all day, every day, there's so many other things that 
they're not my strong suit. And so, you know, I think that's where coming to you for the retirement plan or, you know, finding those other partners and leveraging them, ERISA allows you to do that. And so I would encourage folks to start a plan, but then go find the partners to work with. And I think there'll be a lot of success in doing so. Wow, that, that is such a great point. And that's right in line with my beliefs, uh, where I mentioned earlier that I believe that business owners deserve to maximize the value of their life's work. I also believe that business owners deserve to have a coordinated team of professionals talking to each other, surrounding them, and everyone in their own disciplines coming to the table to help business owners make smart decisions about money so that they can take care of their families, uh, be generous to the causes they care about, and to live an amazing life of significance and making a difference in the world. So thank you so much for that, Bonnie. Uh, Bonnie, in our conversation, can we conclude you, uh, and you had referenced that a little bit earlier, you started out with kind of a bummer of a story. Can, can you talk about uh, clients that you've helped and maybe some uh, success stories or where things, uh, where, where things really went a little bit better than, uh, than the million dollar cost to a million dollar plan? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in my work, I primarily work with advisors, but that also gives me an opportunity to help advisors work directly with their plan sponsor clients. And so I think one of the things that has given me great joy is being able to see some advisors start to really scale their business. As you mentioned, Bob, and working with you know multiple plan sponsor clients over time and, and to be able to see that really grow and, and be able to provide more resources for their plan sponsor clients. I think the one thing that I've noticed is um, rules and, and rule changes coming out of Washington, D.C. keep multiplying. And so for some, that might seem like it's a reason to not have a plan or to not offer retirement savings to employees because it can be really stressful. Um, but it's been really fun to watch a lot of advisors start to really embrace some of the changes and figure out ways to spread that to a lot of their clients more quickly. And while COVID had so many downsides, COVID was that great opportunity to see us get to really, you know, scale and increase that way of spreading the knowledge to clients. Um, so that's been a real joy for me to see how we could take like that, that negative of COVID, turn it into that more positive by going from a one-to-many approach in a really scalable way through technology and getting advisor resources to many employers. Um, so that, that's been probably one of my bigger joys of working with advisors and their clients. Well, thank, thank you, Bonnie. Well, Bonnie Trichel, founder of Endeavor Retirement, you're doing God's work. So uh, we so appreciate you and we appreciate the work you're doing and the, uh, and the great help you are to us in our business as well. So thank you so much for being on the Lessons by the Lake show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun and uh, I look forward to seeing more of your episodes out in the space. Already. And hey, look, uh, Bob, I know we talk a lot on this show about the importance of working with that team of trusted professionals. So, Bob, for anybody out there that was, you know, listening to today's conversation with Bonnie, absorbing a lot of that information about retirement planning and where that falls within a business exit planning, and maybe they're they're interested in reaching out to you and maybe via you to Bonnie even just to chat about maybe their own unique plan and, and where some of the strategies and solutions exist within that. What would be the best way they could get in touch with you, Bob, just so, like I said, open up that dialogue. Yeah, thanks for the question, Ryan. And we'll have we'll have information on Endeavor and Bonnie as well on on the uh, show notes, so they so people can see where they can reach her. Uh, but in terms of reaching us here at Oswego Private Wealth, it is simply go to our website, 
uh, oswegoprivatewealth.com. And that's a great starting point to see just a little bit more information on us, our firm, and there's an, an opportunity there to uh, connect with us. And uh, we'd love to have that conversation with people thinking about their retirement plans. All right. Fantastic, Bob. Thank you so much. And uh, hey, look, I know you both are very busy people. You've got clients to serve, so we'll let you get back to doing that. But uh, appreciate you carving time out of the day and diving into a great conversation with us. Uh, and of course, and finally, we always want to say thank you to our audience for you guys carving some time out of your days to be with us here on the show. Again, if you took anything away from today's conversation, you know, you benefited from it in any way, shape or form, go ahead and subscribe to the show on whichever platform you check this out. That way you never miss out on a future episode that could be beneficial to you and yours. And of course, share this information, right? With any friends, family, business owners, anybody that you think would benefit from these types of conversations on this show. You've probably heard me say it once, but I'll continue to say it. You know, we're taking the same strategies, the solutions, the conversations that Bob is having with his clients at Oswego Private Wealth, and we're bringing them right here to you guys on this show. So by subscribing, you'll never miss out on a future one. So for Bob, for Bonnie, I'm Ryan. We're going to go ahead and say so long, but we appreciate you staying with us here on today's installment of Lessons by the Lake. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA, SIPC. The opinions voiced in this material are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. No strategy assures success or protects against loss.